Good morning, everyone. How are you? Hey, if I've never met you before, my name's TJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church. I'm excited to be able to worship every week with you. So whether you are, if you're here first, if this is your first time here, um, we're glad you're here and know that this is a church um, from the beginning of my wife and I being here, that the love for one another and the love for Jesus is present and it is at the forefront of everything we do. Um, so we're glad to, just me personally, glad to be able to worship with this body. Um, this morning, I want you to think and then kind of initially ask yourself this question. What's your initial reaction to tension? When you experience tension, what's your initial reaction to it? Here's some examples to maybe help provoke and make your mind go a little bit this morning. You're in a, you're in a meeting, you're at work. Two coworkers force, forcefully start sharing their opinion about something, right? And it's different than each other. <laughs> and you're in that conversation, you're like, can I, is there any way that I can change this conversation back to Nancy's retirement party? <laughs> like, just to be able to ease this tension, right? Um, maybe... Um, you are your siblings and you, you're in, the v, you're in the van, you're in the car, and you're driving someplace, and um, you're in the middle, or you're wherever, and you're just sitting there, and your siblings are going at it, they're arguing, and then mom and dad get in there, and then they're arguing, trying to make peace, and what do you do? You sit back like the little angel that you are, right? You're just like, I'm perfect. <laughs> or the classic, in my mind, dinner table tension. You're sitting there, you're enjoying a dinner, and all of a sudden, mom and dad start sharing they start arguing, and then siblings are sitting there, at least for me and my sisters, we would sit across from the table, and we had this look, right? You look at each other, you don't have to say a word, but you know what that look means, and it means shut your mouth and just eat your peace, <laughs> like, just be quiet. Or you see tension, and maybe your reaction to tension that you see, that you experience as you go in, and all of a sudden you see it, and then you're like, I'm going to awkwardly just kind of walk away and see if anybody notices that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip. But now another thing, but what about when you see attention or you feel attention of someone in need? When you see someone in pain, when you see someone have a need, when you see someone hurting, how do you react to that tension? What about if they are physically in need or in pain? If they're emotionally in tension, if they're struggling, if they're mentally in tension and they're battling trying to find knowledge, trying to find some kind of truth of what they're struggling, or maybe even spiritually intention, if we can be honest, of the times that we've had questions, the times as well that maybe we have felt distance from God in that moment of tension. How do you, how do we, how do I react? See, that's important for us to be able to talk about, at least for me, as I look at my life, because it's our response to others when they are in tension that it does something. And it's incredibly important for us because it is our response in that moment that exposes our heart. When we see someone in need, in pain, or struggling, or in tension, for whatever reason, it exposes our heart as what our response does. Now, as I've sat and processed that for myself and kind of going, okay, where is that like a, how, do, how does this make sense, okay? So for the last three plus years, I have developed and, and just kind of immersed myself in and developed this passion of mine. Now, if I can be honest and transparent, for the last 1,352 days, yes, I did count. Um, I have refused to give any kind of example from this. <laughs> if anyone knows me, they're like, oh, is he about ready to break that streak? Yes, I am. Um, three, over three plus years ago, I started doing CrossFit. 
Now, if you're like, oh, great, he's a CrossFitter, okay? Um, the whole joke about individuals that do CrossFit is you know an individual does CrossFit. Why? It's because within about 15 seconds of meeting them, they have told you that multiple times, okay? Uh, but for myself, I have very purposefully, because I'm like, I do not want to be one of those people. But I'm telling you today, church, this streak is over. Today I'm breaking it, all right? So there's an understanding, at least for me, okay? So I am a pastor who does CrossFit, okay? So I'm not a trainer. I'm not in that. But this is a thing that I've, that's helped me understand what I do on a daily and weekly basis. And I think it really even applies to any kind of heavy lifting, any kind of long duration of activity, of even intense activity, or even just if, even if it's just a long activity. And it's this understanding of time under tension. Time under tension. This is the time that your muscles are strained, that they are in tension in a specific period of time or set of repetitions. And this is important for me for two reasons. This is important, at least for me, and within heavy activity or CrossFit, whatever it may be, is that if I want to see more growth for myself, if I want to see more growth, if I want to see more strength and building of that strength, what I have to do is I have to be under tension longer. It's easy to be able to go in and will I, will I achieve growth by going in, doing a lift, or doing something for a small duration of time? Yes, I will. However, one of the things I've seen and just started to understand more of is the, uh, the strength that will be built the longer that I'm under tension. For example, I can go in and I can do one lift maybe five to eight times, just one at a time, and my body will be under tension in those times about five to ten seconds. Will I get growth? Yes. But I will achieve more growth and stronger growth if I will do longer sets, longer times than like kind of maybe five to ten repetitions multiple times, even at a lighter weight. You're like, well, how does that make sense? It's because then my body is under tension longer. My body, instead of being under tension five to ten minutes, is then under tension about 60 to 90 seconds. Or I avoid the tension at all and don't even do it. There's some days that happens, right? The other important reason for me is the time and then like being able to do that for short or for longer durations. Also, what I do when my body's under tension, it really matters. It really, really matters. If I lose tension, I'm done. If I'm under tension too long, I'm done because I'm gassed. I have no energy because I have been under tension way too long than what I should be. Or if I resist the tension, I don't grow. See, I need to be aware and understand what I need to do and how to respond before I go under tension. If I'm at the bottom of, say, for example, a very heavy lift, and it's at that moment that I go, oh, I should be under tension. I should keep my core, I should keep my core tight. I'm done at that point. If that's when I've thought about that, I can't even like be able to stand up. Or if I'm in tension way too long and doing something much longer than what I should have been, I'm not going to be able to stand. I'm not going to be able to keep going. I'm going to be just tired. See, there's an encounter today that we'll see in John chapter 9. That is honestly, even before it and during this, it's a really tense moment. 
And it's a very specific tension and an, an interaction that these different groups of people have in this moment that helps us see how do we respond in those moments, in, our, in those times of tension when people are in need, when they're hurting in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 9. And as you do that, what we need to do is we also need to understand what's going on before this. Context is a huge deal when we engage in Scripture. And so just before this, there's a huge tension. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus drops this bomb on the religious teachers. And he says, hey, I am. You're like, you are what? He is saying in that moment, I am God. That goes back to God giving that to Israel. And so this is a moment then, it says even that Jesus removed, he removed himself because they were getting so upset with him. So that is that moment of tension when you're in a conversation or you see a need, you're like, I don't know how to respond. This is the backdrop of what we see in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, we're going to walk through a different, some of these sections to be able to understand and see how some other people are trying to make sense of what they are encountering. So let's read this first section of John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now having said these things, he spit in the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go. Washed in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Look at verse 2. We see one of those first interactions. The disciples have this, this question. They have this initial tension. They're like, hey, Jesus, teacher, why is this man blind? This is based out of Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, where there was this understanding of saying, hey, an individual was blind, had an illness, had a disease, because it was the sins of the parents or even the grandparents. So they have this initial reaction to this, to this tension of seeing this man in need with this theological kind of curiosity. It's not initial, their initial response to this is not compassion. We see the disciples and acts lead with their first initial reaction as compassion. When they heal individuals that they come into contact with, but this first part, they're seeing this, the disciples are going, what's going on here, Jesus? And then in verses three through five, Jesus then unpacks why this is happening. This is happening, he says, pretty much he's like, hey, this is an opportunity for God to work. And he's, then he includes them. He doesn't say I. He says we. There is this partnership with him and the disciples to be a part of this man's life. And Jesus also shares the urgency of that because he's aware. Jesus is, one, I mean, out of all things that he is, he's definitely not oblivious. He understands the tension with the Pharisees. So there to him, he's like, hey, the night's coming. Like my, my time here is about, it's, it's wrapping up. So there's an urgency to him. And then in verse 6, we see that he then he takes, he spits into the mud, he makes a paste, and then what does he do? He anoints the man's eyes. Now imagine for a moment being that man. Imagine for a moment being that man. You've heard all these people talk, 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 talk. No one has acted, and then all of a sudden a man has a paste and he touches your eyes. 
there's a gentleness here to Jesus. He may be, the man may be even going being like, oh, what's going on? Like, something's happening. And then Jesus gives him instructions to go to some place that is some distance away. And the man goes, washes, and then comes back seeing. Did you catch something in that though? What did Jesus not tell him? Jesus did not tell him, go and you will be healed. He just said, go. And so the man out of obedience goes even without a promise to be healed. See, for me, when I look at this and I see what are the disciples trying to get at? What are the disciples trying to understand? Then how do I see myself even maybe at times? And I see myself, I can go, I get the disciples because there are times when I see tension, when I see people in need, when I see people hurting, sometimes it's easy for me to initially think of reasons or causes to try to understand. I can go, oh, it's because of this. It's because of this, instead of leading with compassion. I also, in verses four through five, I can see in kind of the tension with Jesus of saying, hey, like you need to act. Like this is a we, this is a now for us to be doing this. Because in our world, the thought of, oh, I'll do it tomorrow is so easy to say. And then in verse six through seven, I see we can see ourselves with the blind man because we too were in need. I too was in need of someone to kneel down to save me and Jesus did that for me and he does that for you. And then we see another response of another group of people that interact with this blind man here in verse 8. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before had a beggar, or as a beggar, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man they called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. In verse 9, what's there, how the people, his neighbors, trying to, get, understand, trying to understand what is going on with this tension. They've seen this, they've seen this man. They know who he is. But when they've seen, they, he has been healed. He now has his sight. And they are going... The only way this is possible is this is a lookalike. Like, this is his double. Like, this is a doppelganger. Like, you're not really him. That's how they are trying to make sense there in verse 9. But then in verse 11, we see this man now. It's not just, oh, some dude put a paste or mud on my eyes and poof. Or, like, I was just lucky at the pool. Like, he said, he was like, now he's, he gives Jesus. He says the man he called Jesus, they called Jesus. He now has given identification to the one that has healed him. See, I can understand the neighbors because I can respond to other people's needs like them. Of thinking, you don't need anything. Or it's not that big a deal. I can base, we can base our understanding on the tensions and the needs that we see. We can base those on what we initially see. We can make, oh, I understand because I see this. But we may not really understand and then look at, so then they are trying to get understanding of this, and then they take him to the religious teachers. So we're going to look at this in a couple sections. Look at verse 13. It says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened, the eye, opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? 
and there was a division among them. So they said again to the man, to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that he is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So we learn here that when Jesus healed the blind man, it was on the Sabbath. That's a breaking of the Sabbath law, which requires an explanation. Because for Jews, they were not to do anything on the Sabbath. Jesus, so as a Jew, he then does something. and does something. I mean, he heals an individual, or he made at least the mud to be able to do something. You weren't supposed to do that. And then in verse 17, they're asking him a question of saying, well, who do you say that this Jesus is? To us and to him, they're going... Who do you say he is? Who was Jesus to you? And they are, the, the, the Pharisees are supposed to have the understanding for the neighbors. That's why the man's been brought to them. And so then they can't understand who it is. So what do they do? They're like, nah, you're not, the, you're not really the blind man. Like this cannot be happening. So let's bring in the parents. So they bring in his parents. And what do his parents do? His parents confirm that he is their son. Truth. They even say another truth. They say, hey, he was born blind. Truth. And then the next two, they also share truths. <laughs> They're like, but we don't know how. That's true. They weren't there. And they also say, but then they add this, and they weren't asked that. They said, nor do we know who did it. And they did that out of fear of the Pharisees, kicking them out, banishing them, making them become outcasts and canceled and done with. So then the Pharisees then bring the man back in. Let's pick back up at verse 24. It says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Oof. Oof. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Finally, the Pharisees have said the truth. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would teach us, and they cast him out. We see then, they just... Again, the Pharisees trying to get some kind of understanding based on what they see and what they understand. And in verses 24 through 34, do you notice one of the things, that statement that they say about nine times or any kind of different, different variations of it? We know that. 
they say that statement four times by itself. And then another five different kind of variations of that statement of we know. And this man anchors what he does know. He says, one thing I do know, there in verses 24 and 25, it is anchored in what he knows to be true about Jesus. And they're still wrestling, and then they're like, oh, well, what, and how did it happen? And he's kind of like, okay, I told you already. Like, we can see this man is a very detailed man because he tells the neighbors exactly what happens. It wasn't like, oh, let me blow up this kind of encounter a little bit more. Let me get it a little bit cooler. No, he just says, this is what happens. He gets in front of the Pharisees. This is what happens. His parents even kind of say, this is what happens. This is what he's told us. And then the, the Pharisees again ask him, say, well, how did it happen? <laughs> and you see the man kind of go, okay, you're not hearing me. Is there something else that you're wanting? Is there something else that you're after? Are you so interested in this man named Jesus that you want to follow him too? That's, if, you, if you've ever thought that Scripture is, is that, the, that the Bible is um, not kind of sarcastic, I think this man kind of says this a little bit, of going, are you wanting to follow him too? And what do they respond? No. <laughs> it's not like, no, thank you. Like, they reviled him. We don't use that term a whole lot. I don't think I've ever used that term in a sentence or in a conversation. But what that means is to very aggressively with anger and just a, in an abusive way attack him. Now the Pharisees, it is this turned, and then you, the blind man, versus us. And they again say in verses 28 and then going on, they say, we know that. And then very quickly in verses 30, check out though, verses 30 through 33, we see a beautiful thing here. We see the progression of this man's faith and belief in Jesus. He then says, and even before he has told them, he was like, hey, it was a prophet. But now he was just like, hey, like, how could he not be from God? How could he not be from God? Because God has never healed a man born, a person born blind has never been healed from that, let alone we know that that can't happen from someone that is not from God, a healing that can't happen. And so this man has this incredible progression of faith to know who Jesus is. And then what, does ha what happens? He gets the boot. This is exactly what his parents were afraid was going to happen for them. And they get the boot. And then this, this man, and this is not just a, oh, get out, and then they slam the door behind him. No, this means he is now, like, banished from the people. Like, this is a, you are not one of us anymore. You now have no belonging out. Not just out of that, but out of our group, out of society. Like, you are excommunicated from us. Get out. So this is a big deal. See, I see here in verses 24 through 34, that statement just jumped out at me, friends, with that, that we know in any other variation of that. Because I think when an individual, when I see tension or they're in need or they're in hurt or they're in pain, a posture, if I go in, if we go in with this statement of, hey, we know to someone that is in need, that has to come. It has to come from a posture of compassion of understanding, and of empathy. Because without 
compassion, without understanding, without empathy, to someone that is hurting, someone that is in need, someone that is obviously intentioned, somehow, if we go in with it, oh, we know, we are assuming, we are assuming, and that is very, very different from empathy, because I think, when, at least like the, the conversations I've had over the last 15 years, with the next generation, you go in to have a conversation with them and you're talking and you see them in pain, you see something being very, their intention, they're struggling, and you go, oh, hey, I know. They're internally going, do you? Do you? Do you really know? Because I'm in pain, I'm in tension, I'm in conflict, and I really need you, I really need you to know. And see, this is when, if we go in with a posture of compassion, understanding, and empathy, then we are able to see compassion move and be active. And this is how we see Jesus in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he, it is he who was speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the, this, this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near, near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Jesus here gives understanding really true understanding to this man and trying to help the other individuals around them, around him and this man have true understanding. What did Jesus do with this man? He's been kicked out. Jesus searches for him. He's heard. And then he goes and he finds him. He finds him. And then he shares. He's like, hey, do you want to believe? And this man responds with belief in Jesus, who Jesus really, really is. And then he worships. And then in verses 39 through 41, Jesus then shares even more so of why he has come, even in the face of opposition with the Pharisees being there. He says, listen, I have come to those who are in need. That is why I am here, for them to receive what is needed. And when you, if you think that you have figured it out, you think what they really absolutely truly need, that you are not blind, he says, then your guilt remains. He's, and that is a like, understanding of like, then if that is you, then you should have no sin. But he's like, because you say you see, you are actually blind. See, when you and I, when we really don't understand, and the Pharisees here, they really don't understand, we are blind to what is really in front of us. And when we talk about having compassion, it's really hard to have compassion without understanding. See, to have compassion means a verb, the, the, the true meaning of this is a verb. It is action. It is movement. To have compassion means to have mercy, to sit with, and to have pity. The ancients believed that it, was, that it would come from the soul, the, inner part most, the innermost part of us. And not only is it really hard to have compassion without understanding, it's really hard to have understanding without empathy. Without empathy. Because sometimes, oftentimes, when we see an individual maybe in need, in tension, in conflict, struggling, we lead with, I know, I know. And I know the, 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 the heart behind that is maybe good and it's pure. But one of the things I've at least learned 
for myself is going into a conversation and an interaction with somebody like that, is that even though I may have been through very, very similar circumstances, I really don't know exactly what that is going on for the individual. So if I lead into a conversation of just going, hey, I know I'm missing what they are feeling, but I think the posture of the man in the statement to the, to the Pharisees is so incredibly powerful when he says, I do not know, but one thing I do know. He anchored his knowledge and who Jesus was. And I think empathy in that moment with individuals that are, when we are, lead with compassion, what it does is empathy creates a shared anchor between the two, between us and those that are in need. So how can you and I, how can we respond to tension with compassion? How can you respond to tension in group chats and friend groups in your schools? How can you respond to tension with compassion in the way that you listen to or maybe empathize with the hurting? How can you respond to tension, to conflict, to needs, to hurt, to pain in your home with compassion? Instead of leading with, oh, I know, or oh, I know based on what you see or any of those things, to take a step back and respond in that moment with empathy, with compassion, and also in our community of thinking, oh, well, I know what the cause of that is, but be able to say, no, I want to be active and I want to move with compassion. See, this is how compassion is how, friends, that people know and that they can know and experience a love that says, hey, I don't know. But one thing I do know, and that is anchored in Jesus, then that is a compassion that compels individuals to respond. And this is the opportunity that I, like, I look back at verses 3 through 5, Jesus talking and sharing, saying, hey, we, there's this opportunity for God to be on display in this, with this man. And there's an urgency to this. This is how, and this is this opportunity that we have while in this world that is full of darkness, that the light of Jesus in us can be active in, in our community, in our homes, and in our, in our areas, and just in our influence through compassion. So this morning, how are you going to respond? Because one of the things I see for myself here is how the response, what happened. One of the biggest compassion things at moments in this is Jesus' response between verses 34 and 35. That we, what we don't see there, that it says that Jesus heard and then he went and he found him. How do you need to respond? There's movement there. Compassion is meant to be active and moving. Jesus shows us that here and every time, at least for myself, when I, when I take communion and when I come to the Lord's table, it is a remembering of the movement, the ultimate movement that saved me, that then compels me to be compassionate and to lead with, so that I may have understanding and that through empathy with those around me that are in need. So what we're going to do this morning is this. You notice as soon as I said communion, some of you went, whoop like right next to you to be able to grab the communion elements. We're going to do communion differently this morning, okay? If you're, not able to, if you're not able to come to the tables and grab some of the communion elements, please ask someone around you saying, hey, can you grab me a, um, a, some of the communion elements and bring it back to me so we may take this at how we need to. But we're going to have some movement to the table because Jesus moved and he responded to us. 
There's going to be some uh, questions on the screen to be able to sit and think and respond. Because Jesus on that night, he told his disciples, he was like, hey, this bread, is my, it represents my body that is going to be broken for you. And this cup is my blood that is going to be shed for you. And he tells them, he's like, anytime you do this, remember, remember. All of us, regardless of our age, where we live, whatever it is, all of us have individuals that are in need of compassion. And what we see here, at least what I see here in John chapter 9, is saying, TJ, you've got to be active and moving in your compassion. You can't sit there. You can't be passive. You can't sit there and go, oh, I know, or oh, why aren't they? No, you need to be compassionate and move. And then I can go, okay, then Jesus, how can I move with compassion? So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then when you're ready, you may be able to prepare your heart to receive communion. And then come, when you're ready, grab some of the elements, go back to your seat, Maybe it is to go back and sit and reflect on the questions that will be on the screen. Maybe it's to come get and then go back to your seat and pray with your family. To say, Jesus, help me in these moments. And would, would you show me some ways in which that I need to be active in compassion? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you moved first by coming to this world to save us. We were in need. We are in need apart from you. And every single day, we realize how much we are in need of you, Jesus. So, Father, may we, may we also be compelled to lead with compassion to those that are, in hurt, that are hurting, that are in need, that they are in intention somehow. God, that we may be a body and people that lead with compassion and it compels the individuals that we are compassionate with to respond and be able to see you, Jesus. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.